Ladies and gentlemen, hello and welcome to episode number 84 of the Jersey Wall podcast. My name is Nathan Santos. I'm your host as always. And with me today, guys, this one's special. All right. There are a few people that make the the hairs on my arms stand up when I know I get to interview them. And one of them is the person who actually, he's the reason that I got into this industry. Uh, Mr. Christian Jack, formerly of TSN, really, when you think soccer in Canada, you think this guy, KJ, thank you for coming back to the show. It's so great to see you. Nathan, great to see you. One of my favorites. Enjoy the show. And uh, we were just reminiscing before, weren't we, that I think it's been three years since I was last on this the, the show. So uh, great to see the jerseys and uh, uh, great to see you as well, my friend. Thank you. And yeah, you're right. It has been a little bit too long. And what I was actually aiming for is I wanted to have you on episode 76 because the first episode you were on was 38. And I thought it would be cool. It just didn't work out that way because of what was going on um, with the move and all that stuff. It got a little hectic, as my listeners know. But today, we usually start off the show with Mina and I, and we usually do our little bro talk segment. But today, when I have a guest like you on, the footy is so important, it has to take center stage. And so I've created a way more thorough outline than I usually do with Mina so that I can present to you some arguments maybe, uh, or just general questions. And I want to get what your thoughts on. And then don't worry, fan questions. I saw them and I, I'll pick the best ones uh, to feature here. So let's start off with what I want to call the versus segment. All right. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't start with a very, very and we got lots of meat on the bone today. Don't you worry. <laughs> but there's a lot of meat in the discussion surrounding the next generation of top players. All right. And I'm not talking as much as I love me some Phil Foden. You won't struggle to find a bigger fan of his than I. He's not the person who we think of who's, who's carrying the torch into the next generation. It's who we saw playing yesterday, playing Bayern off the park, a young Kylian Mbappe and who he's looking to be his next rival, uh, Erling Holland. I want to get your take on this rivalry, you know, what their ceiling is, how good they are at such a young age. I want to get your thoughts on all of it, but we'll start with this. Um, what do you like honest thoughts on Kylian Mbappe as the next best player that we're going to see for 15 years going forward? What do you think? Well, I certainly think that he has the capability to be the next best player in the world. Um, you know, when Messi and Ronaldo eventually finish playing, you know, the, there's so much to take on and what he can become. You know, I still think that you know, there's still another ceiling to become another level to, 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 to reach the ceiling of his career. You know, what I love to see him is performing now in the UEFA Champions League and, you know, what he's been able to do this year against two formidable teams has been fantastic to watch. And I do think um, as much as I love the, you know, the Ligue 1 and what they're doing in Paris, that I don't think that he can probably become the best player in the world for a consistent amount of time playing for PSG. Uh, so I do think the inevitable move will happen and he will go to um, one of the, probably one of the Spanish clubs uh, at some point. Uh, but I think that will happen as well eventually. But right now, you know, he has a potential to go on and win a Champions League with PSG this year. And, I, and you know, I was not surprised. You know, I don't, I get a lot of things wrong, but I got one right this week. And when I said I, 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 they were going to beat Bayern, I said on Monday night on my serious show, I felt it. Um, you know, it's a strange paradox right now in terms of what's going on at PSG, where you watch them consistently in the league and, you know, I feel like they'll win games sometimes in second gear and then they feel like they can win games in third gear and when they need to go to top gear, they just can't get there and they lose, which is what happened against Lille last weekend. Um, but in the Champions League, again, the value of the game is higher. They feel like they're a little bit more switched on and he's, he's really delivered. And, you know, look, he's still got his explosive pace. He's fantastic in one-on-one abilities to score goals as well. Um, you know, I just hope, you know, that he can to maintain his fitness and can keep that explosiveness 
uh, because if that goes, it might be a little bit different. But as you said, I think he's the next uh, heir to the throne, so to speak. Right. And because of that, because we kind of view him in that way, um, it's easy to draw parallels, right? With the current people who revere as the two best in the world, even if on pure talent, maybe they're not anymore. Their status will still carry them to be, regardless of their age, when they're playing, we're like, no, as long as he's alive and playing, that's my greatest of all time, right? For you, it'd probably be Messi. For a lot of people, it might be Ronaldo. But when they kind of phase out, we look at Mbappe, and I know you're not one to glorify individual awards, right? But obviously, we recognize individual awards as naming the best players in the world, right? Killing Mbappe, I thought when he broke on the scene at City, ironically, right, against City, I thought, oh man, this is terrifying, man, because he's so young and he's lighting us up. And that's that's a problem. And I thought he'd go unrivaled, to be honest, for the next 10 Ballon d'Ors, right? Then we introduced a, a German, well, what came out of Germany, it seems like, but really the, the Norwegian, the machine, Erling Holland, who just kind of said, actually, you can't have a goat debate without a machine. And <laughs> I'm here now. Erling Holland on the other side of that bracket as maybe the, you know, poking at Mbappe to be the next one. Is there a scenario where you see Erling Holland for what he is as rivaling Mbappe as the next best, you know, in the world? Or is it that Mbappe, we see what he can do and Holland's got some work to get there? Yeah, I think he has got a lot of work to get there. I think they're very different profile of players. I mean, first of all, Mbappe's a wide player. Holland's a true number nine right. player, a true finisher, just a deadly, ruthless finisher that can score goals and just have such a desire to just explode and, 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 and put the ball in the back of the net. You know, I do think, you know, again, international football plays a big part in this, you know, and, you know, look, me, I, I could talk all day about Norway, by the way. Like, I just love that country. We spent a lot of time there as a family. And I really hope that they can push forward and make major tournaments. But, you know, I did their game in November uh, for the qualification process to get to the Euros. And they, they were very disappointing, you know, and they didn't make it against Serbia. And so it, it looks very difficult as a potential to get to the World Cup as well. So I think that that's certainly helps a star player elevate to the level of where they need to be. You know, I don't, I don't think that it's an exaggeration to say that we could be talking about this guy in 10 years to say that he's still the greatest player to never play in a World Cup, you know what mm. I mean, in modern-day times. So, um, you know, it, it's, he's, he has got a lot of – he's got everything about him. You know, he's got the physical capabilities. He's got soft feet, um, a great finish. Uh, so, you know, I think his next move is really important to piggyback off my point about the international football because if he's not going to get – the international stardom and the and all the exposure that comes with that in those tournaments, he's got to pick the, the, the club next and it's got to be really big. It's got to be the right move for him. Uh, and I think he's got to go somewhere where he wins things pretty quickly. And that's important. And, and there's a lot of people out there right now that are linking in with a lot of different clubs. And some of those clubs might be just right. And some of them could be very, very wrong, even though they're a big club. So it's an, an enormous move for him now. Well, let's talk about those clubs um, because I have a streak going, KJ, since we started doing this weekly, and I think that's been episode like 58 or so. Since then, we haven't missed a Monday. Every Monday, we're, we're producing new episodes, then we have a couple of bonus episodes. I Fantastic. haven't missed a week of claiming Erling Holland to Man City. I have to speak <laughs> that into reality, right? You know I'm a Man City fan. You know my allegiance. And you know City's biggest problem is, while it's not necessarily goals, it's a number nine. It's a true nine who can put the ball in the back of the net. Based on what you said there, I would imagine, and this is not going to act as a surprise to anybody the team that creates a lot of chances and wins a lot of things adding you know a top three number nine in the world who with the upside potential of being the next the next best for 15 plus years 
which club would you kind of, if you had to rank them one, two, three, as which club you'd give him the, the best edge of going to or who he should stay away from from the clubs he's linked to, um, how would you rank them? Who would you, who would you say for sure, like between this club and this club, he has to go there and stay the hell away from this club? Well, I think... I think Real Madrid is the club that players find it very difficult to say no to. Um, uh, you know, I think when you think about the hierarchy of football clubs and what can really be the pull, I think they're at the top, actually. You know, I think they're at the top of the, of the tree. So if they can afford him and they want him, I think it's be difficult for him. So, I mean, I'll probably put them number one in terms of whether they can bring him in. Uh, Manchester City are in the conversation and they probably should be number two. Uh, because no doubt about it, it's an unusual time because there's so many big clubs around the planet need nines right. and there's not that many of them about, which is why I've been talking for 12 months on my Sirius XM Premier League show that Harry Kane's going to be moving. Um, and We're going to talk move. about that. Yeah, We're absolutely going to talk about that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I, I, I would say that. I would say that the clubs that he should be very careful about, I would, I would say Manchester United uh, mm. and I would say Chelsea. Um, because I think as much as there's a lot to like about what they're going on there, and of course they're in enormous clubs and the pull is there, I still think there is a lot of work to be done for them to reach true greatness. And as I said, again, if you're not playing in World Cups, Erling Haaland needs to be winning Champions League. Right. So that's what he wants, if he wants to be, you know, considered to be, and you know, he may, he may, he may not be, but if he wants to be considered Ballon d'Ors, it's funny because I don't care about Ballon d'Ors. I never yeah. have, you know that. I don't consider Messi a, a great player because of how many Ballon d'Ors he's won or Ronaldo. Right. Or, you know, I, I remember what they do on the field and how they make people feel. Mm-hmm. You know, that, but these players are different. And Ronaldo will tell you the same thing. They are you know, motivated by individual honors. Uh, but that certainly doesn't affect the way that I look for them. But I, my point being that I think Haaland would be. And I think that he understands that you know, he needs to make the right move. And I think he should be quite, quite careful to add to your list. Maybe about the third one would be Barcelona. I think you should be very careful about going to a place like that because, um, you know, Messi's been fantastic in the second half of the season, masquerading a whole boatload of issues at that club. And um, I think many people think they've come out of the the murky waters now and that that everything's going to be fine. But um, I, I still think there's another storm coming there. I, to be honest, I'm glad that you said that because me, like when I saw the Barcelona links, I just the, what came to my mind, I don't know if you remember the movie Despicable Me, if you ever watched that with your children, but there's a scene of uh, of Gru where he's like, in terms of money, we have no money. And that's how I think Barcelona are approaching this. Like, why would Dortmund be inclined to sell to a club that they know publicly are flat broke and still haven't paid a number of transfer fees and can't cap, can't even <laughs> give players appearances because then it means they'll have to pay for for other players. Like, I just think that's a whole maybe that's a conversation for another day on what on earth is going on at Barcelona. And I think you said it best there when you say, yeah, Messi's, you know, covering for a lot of the problems that will certainly be exposed. And, but I want to segue to the other side of Spain, which is in Madrid, if you had to choose, you know, on our, I was listening to our old podcast this morning and we actually talked about the potential of, of the next Galactico era. And that was three years ago. Right. And, right. and we had linked, you know, Hazard to the club and we see how that's gone and fitness aside, like, that just didn't work out because of Hazard's injuries. Maybe there's still something to be, I'd love to get your take on that too, actually. But if you're Real Madrid and you have, you know, a COVID permitted budget sitting in your, in your, you know, your war chest and you think, okay, I can sign one or the other. I can't sign both. Killing Mbappe or Erling Holland. which do you think you should sign first? 
Which one has to be a bigger priority? Uh, Kylian Mbappe for me. I just think that the higher there's a higher ceiling for him. And um, I think, as you said, there's a lot of talent in their wide players. Hazard has been very difficult to 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 get on the field. Um, you know, the young boys, Vinicius has been tremendous again. Um, you know, there's a lot of to like about him and Rodrigo, and the, you know. But I think if you can get a player like Mbappe um, now, then I think that. They're going through a very difficult time in terms of what all big clubs go through when you go through a transition that you're still trying to maintain winning while you understand that you've got to go through the replenishment of getting younger. Right. And um, you know, what they're gonna do with, you know, and you know, with with all the players and is it time to get rid of them? And I think we've seen there's a great example of players there that you know, many of an older player has been written off and they've found a way to come through because they're their incredible mentality and they are true winners. You know, if you think about what Modric has done and 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 Ramos and 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 Cruz isn't old, Cruz isn't old, but like at the end of the day, like he's you know, he had a down year after the World Cup and he's come back and he's been absolutely magnificent. So I think you see that they still have an ability to bounce back. You can't write players off like that with that kind of mentality and track record. So they still have opportunities to win big things. And if they can get someone like Mbappe next season, then uh, look out. I, I I agree with you. I would say Mbappe too. I just, upside potential, I say as a side, I think it's more, even if Kylian Mbappe stays this good, right? Doesn't get any better, but actually just stays this good. He'll still be miles better than Vinicius or Rodrigo could ever hope to yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not to mention the way that I like to see Real Madrid play, I'm so used to it now, is, you know, BBC era with, and I don't know if you do, maybe this is a debate that we can have, the distinction between a center forward and a striker. I like to make that distinction. I personally think that I see a difference. Maybe, you know, you could say, well, they have similar positions, but I think the biggest difference for me is, the ability to drop back 10 yards and feed dynamic wingers to me makes makes a big difference. So maybe a Robert Lewandowski is a, is a striker and he does play with dynamic wingers, but he's the guy who's putting the ball in the net always. Whereas a Roberto Firmino or a Kareem Benzema are there to try to, Benzema's had to score a lot of goals, hasn't he? But mm. that's, you know, if he can be dropping deep and play these balls over the top, maybe that's what he'd want to do. In my predictions for 2021 episode, I said Real Madrid might have a transfer budget here where they can go and get if it's two big players, it has to be Harry Kane and Kylian Mbappe. And the reason is that you see what happens with Kane and Son, and you think, boy, you swap out Son for Mbappe, you know, Madrid might not lose, <laughs> you know? And so I guess I want to get to Kane a little bit later in the show, but I just want to, to keep that in mind the whole time because um, I'm not quite done with the versus segment here. We have we have a lot to get through in the show. The other one that I want to talk to you about in – Pardon the the Man City undertone that's kind of carried throughout the show. Obviously, that's okay, man. I'm going to have a lot of questions for that. Um, there's a bit of a debate that maybe some people like to entertain, maybe they don't. I want to get your take on it. If you could have, if you were building your ideal keeper, and we've seen what Manuel Neuer and Ederson respectively are, two very very different types of keepers, right? But if you could take Neuer's ability to sweep up play at his best. And Ederson's distribution at his best, his calming presence at the back, you know, uh, enabling teams to play from the back or ping a ball and get an assist from, from his own 18-yard box. Mm-hmm. Which one do you value more in today's uh, footy climate? Wow. Um, hmm. It's a really good question. I put a lot a really of fun into this question. one. Yeah, yeah. I know I said no stumpers, but I, I tried to get you with this one. And I've been thinking about this for a very, very long time. Maybe while you think, maybe I can present more of a case. 
Please, yeah. If I, I may just... Like it just to be about me anyway. It's conversational, right? So yeah, for I, sure. I'll say that I find that I like Edison more than most people. When I, I was involved in the Guardian's um, voting process for the top 100 players of the year every year, and I think there's about 150 of us on the panel, and they always take off the top person who gives them the most votes just for just at this one of the one of the rules and mm-hmm. i think either either i was the top or the second one to boost his value up in, right. my, in my points because i for me I, I, he's the top 15 player in the world you know and i know that most people don't think that and he was ranked 70th or in the 70s or something but i think he's absolutely sensational uh and and Neuer, just to pick up on your point again and i'll give you the time to go through it again Neuer, you know, Bastian Schweinsteiger told me, you know, he was the greatest player he ever played with, ever. Greatest player ever played on a pitch. And I'm like, this guy played against Messi and Ronaldo. He goes, no, no, he's, he's the best player I've ever played against or with in my life. And, and, and like, you know, okay, he made a mistake in the Champions League this week. And, mm. you know, I, I understand that and he's getting older, but it's... Uh, but as you said, they're very different. So it's interesting to hear your case. Yeah, you know, it's interesting, Gage. I actually had that quote locked and loaded ready to present it back to you for for you because I remember listening to you say I think it was on on one of your live streams saying Bastian Schweinsteiger told you that Neuer was the best player he'd ever played with not keeper player yeah Yeah. and I thought that was fascinating and that's kind of what inspired this question because I thought well for me I actually don't think Ederson is the best shot stopper in the world and I and you remember the last time I don't know if you remember on the last time you were on the show I we were well, I was, you are, because you're, you're a consummate professional. I'm, I'm more of a troll here. Uh, bashing Claudio Bravo, because, you know, for what Man City wanted him to do, there's a reason he couldn't keep the ball out of the net. So Pep kind of had to abandon that a little bit and say, listen, Willie Caballero, you're going to have to do this because every time we, we face a shot, we concede. And I don't think Ederson's the best shot stopper out there. I think he's, he's good. He's brushed off his line. But I think often, like, whenever Neuer runs out, I'm very rarely nervous, right? And, and maybe it's because I don't support... Bayern necessarily, but I'm not nervous that he's going to make an error. I often think Ederson might. Right. However, his ability to play out from the back under under the press, like usually you look at at some midfielders who who you just consider press proof, right? You're like, doesn't matter. You can have ten players running at him; it doesn't matter. He's going to pass his way out. He's going to be cool. He'll never even you know drop a bead of sweat. For Ederson to do that with nobody behind him Mm -hmm. terrifies me, right? Like I often find my heart is in the, the absolute bottom of my stomach watching him play because he's like, no, listen, I'm, and I think that skill is something that you have to appreciate more than just at, at, at first glance, right? Yeah. Maybe being able to do that better than anybody else in the world actually makes him a better keeper than every, than every other keeper in the world, hypothetically, because, right. you know, maybe he's not the best shot stopper in the world, but what he enables Man City to do is something that nobody else can, can try to mimic, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. It's that, I mean, I think we probably answered it. I mean, I think what the Neuer stuff is fantastic. You know, I just think what Edison is able to do is it just helps that team so much. And yeah, you're going to have those moments like we had this week with Bellingham and, you know, you're going to have those mistakes and people remember those mistakes because they're exemplified a million times over than things that the players do consistently in games that people don't see or don't remember. Um, and that's, you know, that alters people's perceptions of players unfairly because why should we judge them on that one moment of, of a mistake um, over times and times again that Pep Guardiola will watch what Edison does and so often be brave in the press and play the ball and knowing that, you know, Fernandinho is running with his 
with you know towards goal and he's got his pressure coming in and Edison knows where to put that ball so he can make the right turn and go the right direction or he can ping a ball over six players and put the Bruyne in, in, in a three-on-two situation and there's so many times that he does that and I think it gets overlooked so often. I agree with you. I, I agree wholeheartedly, right? And and quite frankly, maybe this is an argument for another day as well, but is do you think he doesn't have the number one shirt for Brazil because they don't necessarily play the same style like I think stylistically Ederson's a perfect fit for Guardiola's Man City but maybe in a team that doesn't necessarily need to play out from the back under such heavy press you know because Brazil is is not necessarily that same style as Man City maybe they need the better shot stopper in that case maybe that's why Ederson uh Allison gets the nod yeah I think two things I think Allison is very close to Ederson's ability he's very very good with his feet um but I also think and as much as I love uh, Ederson I think Allison is a better shot stopper and he commands more respect in the penalty box. Mm. I think he's better in set piece, set pieces a little bit. Uh, and I think he's just a little bit better overall uh, than, than Edison in most of the other departments. So for me, the, the two are the best goalkeepers in the world easily. And um, there's a reason why those teams, Liverpool and Manchester City over the last three years have been fantastic because of how good those goalkeepers are. And I've said this on many things and you've heard me say it many times. I think and a truly elite goalkeeper like those guys is worth so much in the game that we talk about genuine world-class players, you know, aside from maybe the number nines, the, the gap between the top five goalkeepers in the world comparably to the, say, the top, the, the goalkeepers that were between 10 and 20 in the world is enormous, I think is enormous. And I don't think you could say if we lined up the top central five central midfielders in the world and we said, okay, let's compare them to the best 10 to 20. I don't think it's as big. And I think that's a right. huge, a huge added value for the teams that have those elite goalkeepers um, that, that some of the other ones don't. I, I don't necessarily, I won't say Ederson's the best keeper in the world. Cause I don't think that I would just say this. I don't, there's no one I'd rather have in net under Pep Guardiola's Man City. Is that right? Fair? Right. Right. So I want to move on to discussion questions now because I have some questions that I want to get your thoughts on. Um, first and foremost, and you might laugh at this one, but this is something that the same kind of disdain or resentment or bitterness in my voice that you heard for Claudio Bravo, I actually feel a lot of times for Raheem Sterling. Okay. So I want to get, and I have this written here, and this was actually the first question I wrote when, when I knew I was going to have you on. What do you honestly think of Raheem Sterling? Interpret that however you will. Your honest thoughts on Raheem Sterling. I think he's actually underappreciated. Um, I think he's a, a marvelous footballer. Uh, I think, I think he's very, um, I think he's very tactically intelligent for for an English player. I think he understands the positionings that he needs to be in. I think he's versatile. He can play anywhere in a front three. Uh, I think he's still got that ability to dribble really well in one on one situations and and unbalance opposition's defenders. Uh, I think. Again, he's, he is not a true number nine. And if the ball came over the top and you got the ball on his feet and he was coming down on a big, big game with the goalkeeper one-on-one -on -one, and you stopped it and you said, how much money would you put on him scoring? I don't think you could get more than a dollar out of many people. You certainly wouldn't have anybody put a house on it because I don't think his finishing ability is as good as it should be. Um, but that's instinct. Sometimes, sorry, that's, that's not instinct. Sometimes with time to think, it hinders him. But instinctive moves very quickly when things come at him very quickly, I think he's outstanding. 
I think his mentality is fantastic. Um, and I think he's grown in his, in, in, in his life and be able to talk about other things off the field as well. Uh, so, yeah, I got a lot of time for him. And for me, he's an absolute automatic England player in the starting 11 for the Euros. I'm glad you said that. And that's something we're actually going to talk about a little bit later. And I, he plays for my club. So I don't want to be one of those people who who have undue hate towards the player because I, I don't like those those people or those those narratives. My biggest issue with him is quite simply, your this is your quote, the hardest thing there is to do in this game is score. Yeah. Right? And so I find far too often, maybe my frustration is more with how Pep Guardiola deploys him rather than him, you know, himself. I don't like him as a left winger and I don't really like him as a striker either. I find he's very effective playing off the right. Mm. And when you have the, the City Centurion season where you had him as the right wing and Leroy Sané as the left wing, where the, these dynamic wingers who are darting to the byline for cutbacks for your goal scorers, I like that system a lot. I find what Raheem Sterling does far too often for, and this, and you're right, you know what, I am focusing more on the negatives and the positives here, but I, this is, that's the whole nature of this discussion, right? I'm looking for reasons to be a bigger fan of him than I am. And quite frankly, there have been times, I remember writing an article about it when City had their Centurion season, when every player had like 15 goals. I was like, he's actually the dark horse of the team here because, you know, we're looking at Leroy Sané as like this, this God figure, but Sterling coming in at the back post will get you 15 goals a season. And I'm fine with that. Right. I find what he's been able to do at times is show excellent abilities to shift in from the left and then bend one in. Yeah. But a lot of the times what I find is he, he's so gun shy that he can't actually pull the trigger in time. And then the opportunity's wasted. Right. And Man City don't create any shortage of chances. Right. So that's not necessarily the biggest issue. It's that, OK, well, if I only have a starting 11 and right now Mares has the right wing spot on lock and Phil Foden is, in my opinion, far more important at, at, to Man City at the left wing spot than Raheem Sterling is. I find it difficult to put him back into the side because, you know, we need to score goals. We don't have the striker to do it. And Raheem Sterling played marvelously off a player like Sergio Aguero. But without a player like that, maybe there isn't as much space for him in the Man City lineup. Potentially, yeah. I think the other thing I would add is I would say that you have to remember that in the Pep Guardiola's Manchester City team, I think it's ingrained in them to take their chances only when they're there. And mm-hmm. it is a hugely based possession team that final actions don't always become final. Right. Right? Because fi- final actions, as Guardiola would refer them to, are moments that into the final third, do you finish it off? And there'd be many times, and you've watched Manchester City so often, you know this, that you think this is a final action. And when does a final action become a continuous action? When does a final action actually become final? And many other teams you'd expect, bang, this is a final action. It's going to lead to a chance. No, it just maintains possession and they cut right. back in. So by nature, it is ingrained in them to be more cautious and not be as ruthless and only take their chances when they come. And very often, they, they grind teams down, like they did recently to Leicester, where they just can't, they just can't get the ball. Right. And they just, they just, it's back to the Barcelona under Guardiola era where teams are just destroyed because they can't do anything about it. And in the, in the end, they cause mistakes. They're unbalanced themselves. De Bruyne puts a great ball across. Suddenly, you've got Mendy scoring goals, which is why, by nature, you've got so many. And again, another great example of proper team, and a league-winning team, is that you find a different hero almost every week. Different mm. guys scoring, different guys scoring. Because by the nature of the team, the, the, the opportunities come because of the opportunities created by them in the first place. So I, I like your point. I still think Foden's future isn't in a front three. 
I still think oh, Mo in the future is yeah, a box-to-box eight. Um, and he could be arguably one of the greatest number eights in the game, uh, current players. So I still think there's a place for both of them. Yeah, fair enough. Um, like I said, I don't want to be part of the Raheem Sterling slander because there I remember like memories of him scoring in like back-to-back-to-back weeks in the 90-something minute where he's just finding a way to get the job done. And I like to remember those good times. But the bad times are more prevalent now than ever before. Maybe it's because City don't have a true nine and he's having a little bit trouble of trouble settling in. I don't think uh, uh, Phil Foden on the left is is the permanent solution either. I just I'm always looking or right now anyway at the right now, and maybe we can come back to Raheem Sterling a little bit later when we entertain the the Euro discussion. But I do have more things that I want to get to, so I don't necessarily want to stay on that too long. Okay. Um, I want to talk to you about something else that we'll we'll start with this. In Germany, with Bayern Munich, all right, because I have a bunch of questions here. Bayern's ability to sweep up top talent within Germany is, quite frankly, ridiculous, right? Not only in terms of management, but in terms of top players, it seems that German teams are more willing to sell at reduced prices to a rival, and that is a formula for Bayern to succeed forever, right? Because they just take the best players from anybody who's close to, to rivaling them. Why do you think it is that German teams are willing to sell at lesser cost than it would cost to sell to, to an English team to a domestic rival, making them better and themselves worse. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I don't know if it's lesser than it would be to an English rival. I think they always want to get more money. I mm. think I think you also have to account in the fact that, you know, you want to take care of a player that leaves, you know, because you want reputations of the club. You have to understand where you are in the hierarchy of statues of clubs. So you want to make sure that if players come to you, you know that, yeah, once they come and they outperform what you're doing, then that's okay. You'll make tons of money on them and you'll hand them their dream move, which for many people playing within Germany, specifically for a German-based player, is Bayern Munich. And so I think you have to do right by the player. It's about getting the right amount of balance there. You need, Of course, you need to make the money and you want to make the best financial decision for your, for your team. But you don't it doesn't just come about selling to the highest bidder and sending him off to England just because they're offering 15 million more. Uh, right. So I think that comes down to that. It's, it, it's a great question. Again, it's a frustration for a lot of people around the world who are not no connections to Bayern Munich because it is tiresome mm. sometimes. Um, but, you know, Bayern Munich are not winning European club trophies simply because they're picking off the best players in the league. Yes. It's a factor. Yes. It helps but their overall structure of their club, their commitment to winning and excellence every day and the ability to produce players through academies is absolutely fundamental to their success. So that is why when those things stop, when the culture is broken, and it will because it's the cycle of sports eventually, they go through difficult times. When youth talent isn't able to come through and they're, they're not able to get that winning mentality, then they will have a dip of form again until they find a way to get back back. There was an episode that we did of the Jersey Wall where we rebuilt PSG. And the reason we did that was because of Pochettino, right? If Pochettino is a rebuild style manager and you're putting him at a club that doesn't necessarily value a rebuild, right? They're looking to buy the top stars and to make their money that way. And then they know that the best players are able to produce performances that no one else can, right? right. We actually pitched this idea that 
If Bayern Munich, excuse me, if PSG were to sell Neymar and Mbappe and they use that money and we're playing it, we played it a little bit of FIFA style, right? This isn't necessarily the realistic possibility because quite frankly, it's unheard of for a team to sell two players at 200 plus million, then use 400 million euros to buy a whole new club. Essentially, we were pitching this idea of if you can fundraise transfers that way, maybe PSG would have a better chance of winning a a competition like the Champions League by doing very similar to what to what Bayern Munich have done, which is look domestically. There's so much talent in Ligue 1. It's actually, it's it's absurd. And they've and done a lot awful of with it. And they've done awful with it, right? They yeah. can't keep it. But if Bayern Munich, I keep saying Bayern Munich, if PSG were to go on and raid Lyon, for instance, or or Lille, and steal like, hey, okay, we're going to take Hussein Awar, and we're going to take somebody like, name player X from, from Lille. They're all outstanding, right? One of yeah. the Jonathans, why not? And you were to rebuild the club that way or go look at, at Marseille or Nice and take, you know, a, a, a dynamic fullback or a winger and you take and you build from the best players within that league. It's not like the talent isn't there. And plus, that would be more of a, I guess, sustainable model, right? So that they don't have to always worry about FFP, FFP breathing down their necks or going to buy the next top superstar. Um what do you think of that idea? Do you think that that would be a, a good idea? Or you think they should, if they have the money, quite frankly, just keep doing what they're doing? Well, I think they may need to do that eventually when the Mbappe Neymar train runs out. Um, I think it could be their next great frontier. I think there's a lot, a lot to like about it. The issue that they've got right now is that they were, I was going to say nobodies. Let's just go with it. They were nobodies in the world of football. 15 years ago. I understand and respect their history in the 90s. I understand they are very good players. But when you talk about top tables, when you talk about elite clubs, think of like an elite high-level club. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you need to get a name on you. You need to get your name down to get in that, that club. They were not getting their name written on there. They're not allowed in there. And right. so how do they get their name written down? They went out there. They rebranded themselves. They got rich ownership. There's a reason why UEFA uses logos now and uses phrases in their lower thirds of broadcasts that says Paris and not PSG. It is Mm -hmm. a Paris club. They want to connect to the city, even though it really has got, you know, very little to do with the, with the, with the tourism there. They want to be known as Paris from a big club, not PSG uh, that we've always known as, we've always known as Paris Saint-Germain. But so, and they are, they are a Jordan brand with Neymar and Mbappe. So they are elevating themselves up the hierarchy through commercialism and through popularity of getting kids to buy their jerseys and all of that, while not really accomplishing anything on the field of, of any substance. No one cares about winning league and titles. Nobody cares. Nobody cares if you win for 10 more years in a row. No one cares. You've right. got to win Champions Leagues. And so, um, yeah, the, your idea is a great one. And that will have to come. And Pochettino will be aware of that. Now, right now, they've got game breakers and they've got outstanding players to do it. And they'll have to find out whether they're going to do that. Um, and, you know, Neymar is an issue. He's an issue. And they're going to have to figure that out because I love him and I've got a lot of time for him. But emotional control is not one of his strengths. And that is a significant thing that you need to be if you want to be a true world-class player. And I think he struggles with it. I want to talk about Neymar and Mbappe in just a second, but I want to ask you, since we're on kind of this note, what do you think League Arn can actually do to shed this notion of them being a farmer's league, right? Because I don't think that footy purists will 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 call them that because there's so much talent in that league. But we look at anything that PSG do domestically and it's like, dude, who cares, right? You, of course you're going to win. You're, you're by far and away the best team. Is it that that has to go top up 
like, or excuse me, from a trickle down, like PSG win three P the champions league, let's say, and then their league gets respect. Or is it that it has to be contested rivalries like Lille who are pressing these clubs and showing them, listen, just because we play in France doesn't mean that we're a bad team, right? We have proper world or world-class potential players who are playing here. And if we can hold on to them, then maybe this league can get a lot more respect. Yeah, it's difficult. I don't know how they get more respect. Um, for me, it's a fantastic league. It's a laugh at the Farmers League. There's so much talent coming through. Um, but they can't keep it. Right. You know, you know, they can't, they, they struggle to keep their 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 top players. Uh, so until some of those teams come through and Lille's got their own financial problems now, you know. Mm. Um, you think of like a like a Jules Conde, who was a, I believe Bordeaux, right? He was at Bordeaux, and you know, that guy's an outstanding player. The guy's gonna get signed by a very, very big club this year. And, you know, people knew him. He was really good at Bordeaux before. Um, but Bordeaux couldn't keep him to before he gets his big move because some big clubs were looking at him going, we think he's good, but we'll let somebody else, like a, a middle club, come in. And right. subsequently, that club is Sevilla. That's a very good club, you, you know, <laughs> win European trophies. Yep. But again, not an elite club that can win the Champions League. So, the, you know, the, those clubs like Bordeaux, they're not getting to the middle tier. So they can't keep all the players to, to, right. to establish that kind of recognition. Do you think that Pochettino was the right appointment for PSG? Because like we we touched on earlier, he's more of a rebuild style manager and maybe not one to to pull the trigger on a team full of superstars with, uh, let's you know call it what it is, a very dynamic and attack-minded front three and a very workhorsey midfield. I do think he's the right guy. I think if they don't get it right with him, then they're going to have to do a massive internal mm -hmm. experiment and figure out what's going wrong, wrong with the culture. I got a lot of time for him. I think he's a brilliant manager. Uh, I think, you know, he can inspire players and get them on board. Tactically, he's very intelligent. And, um, yeah, some of the performances in Liga have been quite lifeless under him so far. Uh, that might be a, a consequence of too many games. It might be a consequence of international breaks getting in the way. It certainly could be a consequence of the lack of care. It's easy for us to say they shouldn't, but at the end of the day, it's Champions League or bust. And if they... You know, if he wins in the Champions League, he'll be forever known as that guy who were able to deliver something that they need to get. If you're PSG, do you sell? And obviously, you keep mentioning the 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 Mbappe Neymar train will eventually run out. But if you're PSG and you have to make a decision to sell one of them, who do you go for? Do you sell the more valuable young superstar who you will predict to be the next best player in the world because he might leave on a free anyway in a few years, or do you sell your? global superstar Neymar who maybe causes more problems but can't recoup you as much value. Yeah, I would keep I would keep Mbappe as long as I could. Mm. You know, I love Neymar, but I mean it's just a different caliber of a player for me now. You know, right. um I would keep Mbappe as long as I possibly could. And um look if you lose him, you lose him. But you know, right now you you went out and got him from Monaco and made a massive slash to get him and I, I would keep that guy in Paris as long as I possibly can. And consequently, if you lose him, you're probably going to lose both anyway, you know? Yeah, um, that's fair. So I think I would go with Mbappe. You'd, you'd risk losing Mbappe. So just to be clear, when you say you'd keep him as long as you could, does that mean until his contract expires? Like you would rather yeah. see him leave for free than cash out on him for... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're PSG, if you, you don't even worry about money. <laughs> that's true. Uh, I have a few more discussion questions, but I still have a lot to get through. So I want to just kind of touch on these a little bit quicker. Um, Lampard was sacked and now Chelsea look like realistically, I think a lot of people would look at them and be like, they might actually win the Champions League this year, right? Under, under Tuchel's system with that side of the bracket. Is Pirlo the problem at Juventus or is it the players? 
because you look at what Tuchel was able to do with the, with the same group of players and really just saying, no, I don't need to figure out your problem with all the players that you guys bought. Right. What's going to get me the most results? And he's figured it out. And now they look very, very good. So that's why I kind of want to segue to this new young manager question. Is Pirlo the problem at Juve or is it the players? I think maybe, I mean, it's a, it's a combination of both without doubt, but I think it has to be, you have to start with the manager, you know, ultimately, you know, the, it's a, a job too far for him. And he said that himself many years ago, he wasn't ready for this job. And when that job comes up and someone offers it you and you get given the job, it's very difficult for you to evaluate yourself and say, no, I'm not ready to do it. But I think everybody that when he, when they saw the hire was like, what? That's, you know, you don't even take, he'd just been given the youth job and three weeks later he gets the full job. Uh, and I think, you know, it, it was always going to be a difficult job because it's an aging team and they've had such, so much success over the last few years. Everyone was waiting to just kind of, to use Fergie's term, knock them off the perch. So mm-hmm. I think the players get a little bit of a bailout by blaming him because I think some of them have been quite, quite poor uh, this year. Uh, but at the end of the day, they're not going to win the league and um, it's going to be a disastrous year. And, and he's going to, and you know, they've, he's going to, I think he's going to lose his job. So uh, yeah, I think it's probably him. And as I said, I've said before with Lampard, you know, depending on how the trajectory goes, Lampard could one day turn, return to Chelsea as a very good manager. And Polo could one day return to Juventus as a very good manager. Uh, but right now I just think it's far too soon. So you don't think Juve would be smart to put there? Cause really the appointment of, of Pirlo, I think was part of the rebranding, right? The new logo, they're getting younger, they're getting cooler and who's cooler than Andrea Pirlo, right? So they appoint that manager and he seems to think his quotes after the, after being knocked out, he said, well, it's okay. I'm here for the long term Anyway, you think Juve would be wrong to instill that faith in him as the young manager for a long-term rebuild because they need to keep winning. What do you think? Well, well, I mean, they, they know more than I do about what's yeah, going on at that club, fair. you know, but like, it's, is he the man to, so you talk about them getting younger, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, who is part of their young core? <laughs> Uh, you know, That's, they're not yeah. that young, <laughs> really. True. Yeah, you know? I meant their fans, like the the younger generation of P- kind of like PSG, right? Being the the cool kid, let's get the kids to buy the jerseys. Yeah, that stuff. But yeah, I, I think get you're it. right. Yeah, not many young I get players. It, you know, but like the, you know, the you know who who is going to be the next generation of of great of a great Juventus team? You know, this, mm. you know, Buffon's on his, you know, he's he's old. You know, Buffon's older than me. You know, like, right. um, you know, so you know, Benucci's, you know, 33, 34. You know, so Chiellini's, you know, 36. You know, we know Ronaldo's 36. You know, it's like Aaron Ramsey's not going to be part of that team, by the way. So it's like, who, who are you looking at? You're not going to build anybody around Rabio, you know? Um, so what are you talking about? You're talking about, I guess, Bernadeschi, Bentancourt, Arthur, you know, uh, Delict, clearly. Yeah, Delict um, and Demerol probably are the center yeah, of the Yeah, 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 Kulazewski maybe, I don't know. So, you know, McKenney, you know, so... I think, is he the man to make those players better? And um, I'm not sure he is. All right, fair. Um, On the note of managers, this will be the last discussion question, and then we can move on to uh, the next step for players and and our fan questions, of course. Jurgen Klopp's next chapter. Um, Do you think this is coming soon? Do you think he needs a break from Liverpool? And maybe maybe this is a reach. Maybe he should say, no, he should stay at Liverpool for the next 10-plus years. Even if he does, what is next at this point in Jurgen Klopp's career? Right? This is the, the... probably the worst title defense that many of us could think of. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's his fault. Obviously, Liverpool have been more afflicted by injuries than probably anybody ever, right? Like, just a horrible, horrible... Where Mina and I were talking to my usual co-host, we were discussing this. We were saying, 
their center backs have such bad luck. It's got to the point where their midfielders who are filling in at center back are injured too, right? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, maybe that's not Klopp's fault, but going forward, what do you think his next chapter is? Is it to continue with Liverpool? Is it to move on? I think, I, look, I don't think there's, there's a, um, I don't think there's an, an imminent divorce. Uh, mm. I do think we are seeing the end um, is nigh, uh, but I don't think it's coming soon. I think next season could well be his last season, um, depending on you know how things go. I, I do think in football you have a, a shelf life of being you know you know very often it's less than three four years as a manager, and he's accomplished everything and more that Liverpool fans could ever have dreamed of. And what we're seeing right now is a very difficult time for him to motivate his players. And the injuries have been an enormous problem. But, you know, there are other concerns there about, you know, upping contracts and going again and motivation. And before the start of the year, I've got written my Premier League book here, that, you know, it was, he's like, we are not at the end of something. We are in the middle of something. Uh, but I think that procedure has definitely been sped up by many factors, injuries, COVID, fatigue, lots of games being played, enormous workout w- w- workload on the players. And um, what football teaches us is that very rarely um, these days do managers get the opportunity to go again with these guys. Rarely do we do it. It, it, it. You know, Ferguson with Manchester United was given that opportunity to go again and go again and have difficult years. Nothing like this, but difficult years, not winning Premier Leagues back-to-back years, things like that, finishing third. Um, but I think modern-day football, and we learned with Pochettino with Spurs, is that if you... If the wheels start falling off, it's very, very difficult for, to to allow that manager to pull that team into the into the pits, rebuild the car, and go again. And it just feels like the wheels are coming off a little bit with him. And uh, I do feel like it could come to an end pretty soon next season. So it's interesting that you say that because Pep and I don't disagree with any of it, by the way. But I'm just interested because it made me think of Man City had a very slow start to this season. And it looked like it was the end of the cycle, didn't it, right? Where I remember being in the position, we were talking about not a Man City rebuild, but we were like, what? there was an episode that we called, you know, WTF is wrong with Man City this season. And it seems so far off the pace now from what actually ended up happening. Pep was probably earns a little bit more respect. He commands that a little bit more in terms of a club saying, listen, if Pep, we're going to give him that new contract. You remember he, he said, maybe I don't deserve it quite yet. Yeah. And then things got better. And maybe that was Ruben Diaz. And I love to attribute it to that because the Benfica ish and me and the, uh, you know, he went from captain of one club to, to future great center back of, of my other club. <laughs> right. He looks like he's been given that, that luxury, that leeway time period where you're not going to sack Pep because he's on bad form, but they were able to turn it around. You know, where do you think Pep Guardiola is in that system that you described in the cycle? Is it now that this is now going to be a new five-year cycle at Man City and then that will be the end of it? Or is it as soon as if he doesn't win the Champions League, it's like, dude, we got to move on here because you this is what we need you to do and you can't get it done. I think it's very different to Klopp. I think Pep Guardiola will leave Man City when Pep Guardiola wants to leave Man City. Yeah. I don't think Pep Guardiola and Man City, aside from the initial bump at the start, you know, game thrashed at Everton and changing his style a little bit that first season. You know, he's not reached anywhere near the level that Liverpool have reached this season, that low level. You know, people Mm -hmm. talk about, oh, rebuilding City. 
Now, they finished second in the Premier League last year and scored over 100 Premier League goals in the season. Yeah. Now, if that's a bad season, then sign me up, you know, every yep. year. Now, everyone says it's a bad season because they lost nine games and Liverpool thrashed them in the Premier League because, they, you know, they, but Liverpool thrashed everybody. Yeah. So, you know, you go back and you look over Sir Alex Ferguson's down years, they were a lot lower than 81 points and scoring, you know, winning 26 Premier League games and scoring 102 goals. So it was still a pretty good year. And right. then, by the way, you went out and spent all that money on players, like you said. So, uh, and including a player, 40 million on Nathan Ake that we haven't seen for months. So uh, I think that, you know, it, there's a lot of success to be, to like about what City have done. Their, their, their abilities to reach heights is is second to none in, in England. Obviously, they spend more money than anybody else. They've got a lot, to, a lot of things going for them. Uh, and I think Guardiola will win again this year, obviously. Um, and and in, in his pursuit pursuit of the Champions League, and I I think his departure from Manchester City will come like a bolt out of the blue. It will not come directed by results. All right, fair. Um, I want to move on now to, ironically, <laughs> the moving on segment of the show, where I have four names for you, and I want you to tell me where you assess them currently, what you kind of see their ups, that where they could go, and and is it time for them to take that next step? Uh, the first is Harry Kane right? It's time for Kane to move on. I remember you you sent a tweet out saying it, you know, something along the lines of Van Persie made that decision at one point, right? Where he's like, yeah. yeah, it's all well and good to be a club legend, but I need to lift a Premier League trophy. And Harry Kane, I think, deserves that, right? This is a, a proper world-class player, arguably the best straight, the best nine in the world, maybe, you know, second or third, but really he's up there. Um, what do you think is next for him? Yeah, he's got to go. Has to go, but has to go now. This summer has to go. Uh, time to go. Time to be selfish. Uh, time to say to Daniel Levy, you can't play hardball anymore. You need to let me go and understand it's a COVID budget world and you're not going to get the money you wanted and you can build add-ons and get cash me, get money for me in the next seven or eight years. I don't care. But I, it's, it's time to go now, to win trophies now because he's... Um, He's been so far away. And, uh, you know, he might win a League Cup. He might not. But it, uh, that's not going to be enough to keep right. him around. He wants to win Premier League crowns. And, and he has to leave. And it's a great market to go in because there's a lot of number nines out there. And, um, yeah, you know, if it's not going to be City, it could be Man United. I wouldn't be surprised to see him go there either. But um, it, Tottenham are notorious, very difficult to negotiate with. Sir Alex Fergus would never negotiate with, with Levy. That's why Modric never went there in difficult times. But... Yeah, I think he has to be selfish and he has to move. I'm glad that you touched on both Manchester clubs there because I wanted to ask you what the next step is. I, You remember earlier in the show, I said maybe the next step is to go to Spain because he looks like, as Benzema, who's been better than ever, by the way, is on those kind of last legs approaching 32, 33. Maybe as he starts to push out, Harry Kane needs to be the one who can fit that mold, quite frankly, and do it even better, I would argue. But if he right. does want to stay in England, I'll ask you this, maybe if it is to Manchester City, because that seems like the club that'll get him the most trophies right away, right? If you're Man City, would you prioritize Erling Haaland or Harry Kane? I'd get Harry Kane. Interesting. Yeah. Elaborate, please. Uh, because I think he will not be, you don't need to worry about any betting in period. And I think he will, I just think he fits the structure of the team better by playing a little bit more of a, not as a nine and a half. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't think Pep likes nines very yeah. much. So, you know, I mean, I, I, of course he'd love Haaland. He'd be fine. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that Haaland's not a good fit for Man City. That would be a ludic ludicrous thing to say. Right. He'd be fine. Uh, but I think Kane would would 
elevate that City team to another level. Do you think the longevity of Holland potentially is is something to consider though? Like, because obviously, I would say Harry Kane twenty seven ish now. Like the next five years will be the best Harry Kane years that we're yes. ever going to see. Yes. Erling Holland being at twenty, doing what he's doing, it could be okay. Well, if he has another level in him, we don't. I don't even know what that ceiling is. But if Man City is a boyhood club of his, we could say, listen, you're going to be our guy for ten plus years, much like the Aguero signing was. Do you think there's more upside in taking the risk of a short-term loss? Maybe it'll take him longer to settle in, but maybe not. And he might be there for 10 plus years rather than the four or five of Harry Kane. Yeah, potentially. Uh, but I don't, I don't think you should look too far ahead. I think, you know, obviously Holland could be Kane, uh, could be almost as good as Kane right away. But I, I just right. think right now you just signed De Bruyne to another five-year deal. So it's like, let's focus on the next five years. And yeah. Look, mm. the way City are going with their finances, you could sign Haaland again when he's 25 anyway. That's true. That's such a good point. That's very <laughs> fair. Um, I want to, because I know you have to go here and I only have you for a few more minutes, I want to just get on these next three players. I'll combine them because they kind of fit a similar mold, if you will. Um, Yuri Tillemans, Ruben Nevsh, and James Ward-Prowse are three midfielders who I'm a very big fan of here yeah. at the Jersey Wall. I've kind of put them in an order here. Maybe they did inadvertent ranking of where they rank in terms of talent, but I want to know for you, is it time for any or all of these players to move on? And if so, what's the next step for them? You speak in my language with the first one, mate, because I'm a massive Telemans fan. Play for any club on the planet. That's how good he is. Any club. Real Madrid, yes, 100%. Play for them tomorrow. He's that good. Uh, I think Real Madrid should be watching Leicester every week because you could I'd go sign for Fauna as well. Okay. No uh, so, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, for me, those two players right now, I would say elite level players, go get them both. Um, Ward Prowse, I like a lot. I just don't think he's a top level player technically. Uh, for obviously, amazing from set pieces and very, very fit, play every week. Uh, kind of player that you could play, that could play for Tottenham. Uh, consistently and right. playing Europe, uh, but not be a Premier League winner. I don't think he's an elite level player. Uh, but uh, yeah, Ruben Neves, I, I think for me, again, not that far behind Tielemans. I think he's the kind of player that I will be watching very carefully as being a player that I'd go, okay, yeah, you could, you know, there's, there's players out there like Jota, the big clubs have got to find that don't play for them that can say when they come to us, can they be a big time player? Uh, you know, I mentioned Kunde before. He's a player like that for me. Um, I know Barella's already at a big club, but as a player like that for me, as an mm-hmm. elite level player, go get someone like that. Tielemans is like that. You know, the Ajax system of like Gravenbach, like there's so many of those guys yeah. you can go get. Um, that's the next frontier for those big clubs. Um, I think certainly two out of the three that you mentioned for sure. There was a time when Ruben Neves, I don't know if he still holds that record, but he was the youngest captain in the Champions League history, Captain Porto, before moving to what seemed crazy to move to the championship from being the youngest captain. But it ended up, I think, benefiting him because the reason I am, I mean, he's Portuguese, obviously, I'm going to have, I'm going to have that, that kind of respect for him. And believe it or not, if you can believe it, Brendan Dunlop is also a fan of his. Um, but we discussed quite highly. He's a fan of everybody. Brendan. He's a fan of everybody. Is we we discussed him in the Portugal lineup for the Euro, and I want to close out the show with the Euro, and we'll get to that in just just a few moments here. But I actually pitched Ruben Neves to be in a Barcelona rebuild. Um, yeah, I think I can he see would that. Be fantastic there, and I what I tried to do with that, and I'll just give you the midfielder. Anybody who maybe didn't listen to that episode, I pitched it as maybe Barcelona should try to mimic Real Madrid's midfield, which I think 
might go down as one of the best midfielders ever, right? It has every piece that you need with Casemiro, Modric, and Cruz, where it checks all the boxes you could ever yeah. want. And so what I pitched was, and I just get your quick thoughts on this, Frankie de Jong at the base. This is long-term, right? Ruben Neves and Hussam Awar. And mm. I thought this triad would be, you know, Ruben Neves would be your Cruz, right? He's, he's your tempo yeah. setter. He's got the long ball on him. He's got the cannon, the dribbler, the silky box-to-box midfielder, Hussam Awar. And we know what all about, you know, um, Frankie de Jong, you know. What if oh, yeah, I'm a huge totally. fan of this, right? Big, I, I big fan. No, I think you did a great job with that. I, I like that three. And Barcelona, you know, I'm a massive fan of midfielders. You win midfield games, you win games, you know. Right. So that's the key for me. And this, uh, I'm glad you brought those guys up. To be fair, when I pitched that, it was before the emergence of Pedri and my new favorite, uh, Ilaish Moriba, who mm. I'm such a fan. I mean, you see the Yaya resemblance and you think, okay, well, as a City fan, I have, where's my Yaya jersey? It's somewhere yeah, over here. Yeah, yeah. I can't get enough of uh, of that, but we got to leave that there so we can get time for our fan questions here. I'll start with a question from Serena. You've met Serena. Serena, of course. a longtime listener of the Jersey Wall. Shout out to Serena. Uh, she asks, this is a loaded question for you, KJ. Did okay. Arsenal ruin Ozil's career? Uh, no, he ruined his own. Ooh. Yeah, he ruined his own um, by, uh, first of all, not committing to the processes that he needed to to ultimately have the same attitude for different managers and all managers took the same of him. And um, then when he needed to, deciding to re-sign with the club, despite the complications that he wanted to take the money uh, when he could have challenged himself somewhere else. So uh, for me, no, look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. I like it. Um, what about, so Mina will ask, and this is, this is, uh, this is specifically for you knowing uh, who your allegiance to Jack Grealish, his exit seems imminent. What do you think about that? Shout out Mina for asking that. But what do you think of that? I know it's a heartbreaking discussion to have your best player and captain leave the club. But um, would you say the days of Jack, of Jack Grealish at Aston Villa are, are numbered, to say the least? I don't know about that. You know, I think I think it's inevitable eventually, of course. I don't know if it's imminent. Mm. Uh, I think he's gone to another level again. And, um, you know, okay. I think he's been absolutely fantastic to watch. No question about it. But, you know, I think who's going to give the money that the villain need? You know, I think maybe right. one of those where maybe they say, okay, yeah, you know, give us some more money down the line. Uh, and I also think that his play this season has taken other clubs out of the bidding. What I mean by that is that Villa have elevated themselves up the hierarchy a little bit. Right. And Grealish has gone to another level. So is Grealish going to sign for Spurs? I don't think so. No. You know what I mean? Like, so like he was disappointed if he did two years yeah. ago, you know what right. I mean? So I think now his ceiling is higher and subsequently the less amount of people that can, less amount of teams that could, that can, that offer his services are definitely there as well. So, uh, yeah, I think, I think it will ultimately happen. And I think Villa needs to be very careful in terms of what they're going to get. And, uh, maybe in a COVID world be quite flexible in terms of maybe getting some, old-fashioned North American trade value in there and getting some exchange players coming the other right. way. I think that might be important for them to do that if they pick the right ones. What do you think uh, Jack Grealish's ceiling is? Is he like world-class player potential or is he more very, very good, but maybe he isn't, you know, on the other side of that bar? I I, I think most people think world-class ceiling. I think very, very good myself. Uh, I think he's... Um, he has gone to another level this year. Uh, very, very technical player. 
extreme, you know, just ruthless in his dribbling ability, brilliant one-on-one, supreme close control, uh, great understanding of space. Uh, For me to reach the next level, he's got to improve his finishing. He doesn't shoot Mm -hmm. the ball as well as he needs to. And um, the biggest problem he's had and he's got better at this year is that he spends a lot of time on the ground and he gets fouled a lot, which people like and think it's a great quality, but it, it brings an incredible amount of of disjointedness to games. It's a real lack of rhythm in a flow of a match uh, when you can, when he's consistently going down. And a lot of times he just leads to issues. And if you're not a great set-piece team, zero benefit to it. So I think it'd be interesting to see whether he can eradicate that from his game a little bit. All right. And I know you have to go here. So I'll ask this as the last question. If you're Gareth Southgate, and he doesn't seem to want Jack Grealish in his squad, and of course, most recent call-ups, he's injured, maybe because of those lotion pads. Um, Nuno asks... Mount, Foden, Madison, Grealish. Who who starts in England's 11? Who gets on the plane, starts in the lineup? What do you think? Because obviously front three, you might have Rashford, Kane, Sancho, or maybe Sterling, however you have it. But England have a lot of attacking options. Of yeah. these kind of four attacking midfield style players, who would you have in this team? Well, I mean, I think they'll all go. I don't know. Maybe Madison might not. Uh, mm. I, I got a lot of time for James Madison. You know, I, he strikes the ball far better than Jack Grealish, by the way. He's a right. far better player, a far better finisher than Grealish. Uh, I got a lot of time for him, and I think he could be very special. Uh, it might be a little bit too much for him because there's so many players. I don't know whether he'll get on the plane. Um, I think all the others that you mentioned will. I saw Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville do their team on Sky, and they didn't pick Sancho, which for me is just outrageous i saw that too outrageous um so i think sancho has to be in the team uh has to all go on the squad as well um when i think is the question more about the squad or the 11 i think honestly like up to interpretation here because there's so much depth here in the in the squad where you know it seems like all these players you want to make them play but is that necessarily what's going to make england win Right. right. Those are very different questions. And I like Mount. I think Mount will start every game. I think he's right. probably gonna, he's an automatic starter as that number eight. Uh, I think he'll he'll definitely start the games. I think Foden will be in and out of the team in different roles, depending on wh- who you're playing. You know, whether you're playing that front three or, as I said, he could be. I like the idea of like a base player, like a Rice, and playing with like a Foden and a Mount and mm-hmm. the front three. You know, I think they could play that kind of role. Uh, I really do think he could play that kind of role as well. Uh, and maybe part of that front three occasionally is someone like Grealish who gives you a little bit more of a playmaker coming inside right. rather than just having, you know, Kane and two two rapid players, you know, Sterling, Sancho, Rashford. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's, like you said, a lot of players there. Um, yeah. I guess it's just too bad for England that some of them can't play centre-back because that'll be the one doing, I think. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, probably my favourite part of that that you said is that you didn't give Jordan Henderson a nod. And that makes me happy. <laughs> anyway, KJ, I think that's got to do it. All right, there you go. I'm sorry we didn't have more time. I got to go no, do some no. MLS interviews, but I always enjoy this. And there's absolutely no way we're going to wait another three years to do another one. I hope uh, that's outrageous. I feel this, bad. I condensed this outline so bad. I, there's so many things that I would love. I could, you know, even the Ruben Neves conversation, I could go on with you for for half an hour about. Let's do um, it again. Let's do it again soon. I mean, I don't care. I've got plenty of time. So <laughs> <laughs> I very much look forward to it. And I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, Jersey Wall listeners, you guys have been graced with excellence today, far more than usual of Mina and I and our banter um, footballing nonsense you guys are great I really appreciate the compliments I really appreciate your time uh, and your insights it's been fantastic having you on thank you all for listening to episode number 
84 of the Jersey Wall podcast. And we'll see you right back here on Monday. Take care.